Hello and welcome to episode 8 of season 1 of Film Exploration with Ash Hurry and today we're going to be talking about the 1992 film A Few Good Men directed by Rob Reiner and starring Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, Kevin Polak, Kevin Bacon, Kiefer Sunderland and Jack Nicholson. It's one of those movies that I think I've watched at least a hundred times. I think it it could even be more to that. It could be close to 500, but it's just so iconic. This really dramatized and enthralling courtroom movie. And it's possibly considered a classic now. And if it isn't, then I'm sure it will be because it's still talked about. It's quoted heavily. The whole, you can't handle the truth, has fundamentally cemented itself in Hollywood as one of the most memorable quotes in cinema history. Therefore, putting this movie on the map. I mean, people know the quote but might not have seen the movie. That's how big that quote is. It's like people knowing the uh, the Rosebud quote but haven't seen Citizen Kane. And I was actually asking a few of my friends the other day. I mean, they all know the quote, we're going to need a bigger boat. But not many of them have actually seen Jaws. And I just think that's quite extraordinary. So it's amazing how a, a quote can sort of exist outside of the movie. But yeah, anyways, A Few Good Men. I mean, it's a star-studded cast. And what is impressive is the timing of this movie. I think it's the peak for a lot of these actors. Tom Cruise, a really flying high at the time after Cocktail, Top Gun, Days of Thunder, The Firm. So he's pretty much the biggest star around at the moment. And in my opinion, this was his best movie to date. And he goes head-to-head with Jack Nicholson, which alone is a reason to see this movie. Jack Nicholson gives one of his finest performances in this movie as Colonel Jessup, this high-ranking officer stationed in Guantanamo Bay who has a real black-and-white way of looking at things, who's earned the complete respect of the men under his command by using thorough and belligerent tactics for the greater good. And he's only in four scenes of the entire movie. That is how much of an impact he has in the movie. It's it's amazing. He was rightfully nominated for Best Supporting Actor uh, for the Oscars, but he didn't win that year. He lost out to Gene Hackman in in Unforgiven, who, interestingly enough, was the original choice for Rob Reiner to play Colonel Jessup. So in one aspect, Gene chose the right role because he won the Oscar for it but I don't think I'm stepping on any toes here when I say the more memorable performances especially 28 years later on is probably Jack Nicholson and A Few Good Men his performance in A Few Good Men was his 10th Oscar nomination at the time which just demonstrates how good of an actor he is he's won three times first with um, oh god what was it One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and then again in uh, 1984 with Terms of Endearment amazing film and then he won it five years after A Few Good Men with um, As Good As It Gets with Helen Hunt which is a great movie but there's no doubt the ratio of screen time to quality is the best in this movie even though he didn't win he's only in four scenes of the movie and he has such an impact and he was only on set for four uh, was it ten days but there was a lot of word from the crew on how hard he was working for those days. The climax of the film, the courtroom scene with um, Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson, I think it lasts for like 20 minutes. And Jack Nicholson, um, I think they were saying he delivered his line over 50 times. And Rob Reiner filmed his scene over, um, over and over again and said, listen, we've got your scene. We don't need you. You know, we don't need you anymore. We just need to get the reactions of your monologue from the other actors so you can go home. Um, he just says, oh, look, I need to film everyone else's reaction, the lines to see your speech. But he was adamant he wasn't going anywhere. And he said, look, I'm going to deliver this speech every time. Um, it doesn't matter if I'm not on screen. I'm just going to do it every time. And they counted how many times he did his monologue. And if you remember, he is screaming at Tom Cruise. He's really going at him. And he did this over 55 times. And uh, Kevin Polak, who was obviously in the scene with him, said he was almost ready to faint at the end. But it just illustrates what a true actor Jack Nicholson is. No wonder he's been nominated 12, 13 times in his career. So for 10 days of filming, he earned £5 million for the role. Not even, you know, that's, that's pretty good. 
Speaking of costs, I mean, the film itself cost around 40 million to make, half of which was paid to the salaries of the cast. I mean, Tom Cruise banking around 13 million for this role. But shockingly, he didn't get an Oscar nomination, which is like a really big snub that year. And I, I personally think it's Tom Cruise's best role. And I, I think it was the year Al Pacino won for Scent of a Woman. And Al Pacino was actually nominated twice in the, ca- in the acting category. He, was, he obviously won for Best Actor for Scent of a Woman, but he was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor for, is it Glengarry Glen Ross, I think? Which hasn't really happened a lot at the Oscars. I think Scarlett Johansson did it last year with Jojo Rabbit and Marriage Story. I don't think she won either of it, but it's, it's, yeah, it's quite rare to be nominated twice in the same year in acting categories. Yeah, but Tom Cruise not being nominated, I think, was a stupid choice by the Academy. I mean, like I said, it's his finest performance. He is fantastic in it. I mean, I can't picture anyone else who can play this arrogant but gifted and witty lawyer and also at the same time portray a kind of airhead quality to his character. And he's just incredible in this role. The role was for him. It was made for Tom Cruise. Like Like, I could see Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible possibly being played by someone else. You know, most of Tom Cruise's roles I could see someone else play. But the role of Daniel Caffey, I, I can't imagine anyone else doing this role other than him the emotions he goes through in this movie from playing it dumb or actually just acting stupid to delivering Sorkin's dialogue in such a fast and articulate manner the cockiness he can show and also the passion he has when he decides to take the case the ups and downs of the case is reflected on how he reacts and his performance in the courtroom especially at the end which when he confronts a high-ranking officer at the end which somewhat relates to real life because he's going toe-to-toe with a 13-time nominated actor who is just intimidating so it is just next level from Tom Cruise and like I said the timing was perfect for this movie 1992 the cast was ridiculous Tom Cruise was just the tip of the iceberg Kiefer Sunderland is in this movie and before he's 24 days and he's in such a small role in this movie he still earned a million for this which is quite a lot of money uh, for an actor for such a small role he was actually getting quite big and familiar with audiences of earlier films like Flatliners, Stand By Me and Twin Peaks and obviously Lost Boys which are quite big films and this again shows how good the timing of this movie was it was massive in terms of the stars in this movie Kiefer playing such a small role at the time he was like It's like Chris Pine playing, uh, you know, a small role in uh, a film made today. And Kevin Bacon, you know, also in Flatliners and makes a massive name for himself from doing Tremors and obviously Footloose, playing this heavy-hearted lawyer defending the government, but this sort of Iceman-Maverick relationship with Tom Cruise in this movie, which is perfect because he really sells it. And again, like Kiefer Sunderland, plays a really small role in this despite the attention his name brings. This film was definitely eye candy for a lot of young women and this is a film genre that has really no appeal to a female audience because courtroom dramas were the big thing at the time and it was mainly appealing for a male audience. So, you know, this appealed to pretty much everyone. The 80s just came off doing a breakthrough in comedy and teen high school movies with John Hughes, Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller. So the courtroom genre was really brought a more sort of refreshing and mature approach back to Hollywood, who was really going at it with this genre, adapting John Grisham novels and making great courtroom movies, you know, um, like The Pelican Brief, The Firm, The Verdict, Mississippi Burning, uh, A Time to Kill. And by the time A Few Good Men came out, this was sort of the peak of this genre. And the cast really cemented a wider demographic in using Tom Cruise and Kevin Bacon, Kiefer Sunderland, and of course, a little older generation would have loved seeing Jack Nicholson in this role. Um, and well, everyone loves Jack Nicholson in every role he's in. And, and you know, Demi Moore was a great addition to this movie, and she took a salary cut um, to be in this movie because her last three films in Hollywood were a flop. But she was still famous because of Ghost and her private life with Bruce Willis. I mean, she's one of those actresses I think has 
you know, I think her private life is bigger than her performances, in my opinion. I mean, the box office didn't lie when, you know, the film grossed over 200 million easily, and it's now still talked about today. So this movie had a lot going on for it, and it didn't disappoint. This was sort of the uh, introduction of Aaron Sorkin, who wrote the movie. He wrote the play, actually, that became the movie. And, of course, he's one of the most established screenwriters in Hollywood. I think if you were to ask a random person, name a famous screenwriter, they'd probably say Quentin Tarantino or, or Aaron Sorkin. I mean, Sorkin delivers an articulate, quick pace exchange in dialogues of razor sharpness to each word to really propel the scene in his movies. He's an absolute magician with dialogue and brings such intensity and fast wit with his writing. He's probably one of those guys who would be insanely quick at comebacks or would be usually the first one to crack a pun or a joke. I mean, now Sorkin's really well established um, himself in Hollywood now. I mean, first doing The West Wing and then Sports Night and the other TV series he did was um, Newsroom of Jeff Daniels, which is really good. It's one of my favorites. Um, and obviously the films he's been doing, obviously, uh, A Few Good Men was only the start. Um, and he's grossed half a billion with um, his other movies, The Social Network, Steve Jobs, Moneyball, Charlie Wilson's War. Um, and if you've seen them all, you'll recognize a very clear style of that, of what he has, which is this intelligent exchange between characters, which obviously resonates in his films very clearly. Anything with Sorkin's name on it, watch it. I mean, he recently directed his first film a couple of years ago with um, Jessica Chastain. It's on Amazon Prime. Oh, what's it called? Mo Molly's Game. Yeah, it's got Idris Elba as well. It's a really good film. And obviously the fast cha uh, the fast exchanges are in this movie. It's just, it's, it's just beautifully done. Um, and it's really well directed for his debut as well. If you haven't seen it, um, yeah, it's definitely on Amazon Prime. And he's doing a second movie, um, which is coming out next year. It's called Trial of Chicago 7, which is a story of seven people stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising in the uh, 1968 uh, convention in Chicago. So that will be quite interesting to see how he does that. The idea for the plot of uh, A Few Good Men came from a conversation um, when Aaron, uh, Aaron Sorkin talked to his older sister. Um, I think her name is Deborah, Deborah. And um, Deborah was a, a Navy judge, advocate, general, lawyer sent to Guantanamo Bay on a case involving Marines accused of killing another Marine. And Debs told Aaron this, um, and he told him all about the case. And Aaron spent the entire, I think it was the next year and a half, writing a Broadway play, which later led to the movie. And he was a bartender at the time, and he was writing the play on napkins at the bar. Who'd have thought, right? And if you actually watch most of his films that he's written, he actually cameos in a lot of his films, including this one, has a bartender. Um, yeah, he's in the, yeah, he's a bartender in a few good men, so look out for that. So for those of you who haven't seen A Few Good Men, although I don't know if you'd be listening to this podcast if you haven't seen it. But anyway, yeah, so we follow Lieutenant Daniel Caffey, played by Tom Cruise, and he's this young Navy officer sitting in the shadows of his um, his dad, who's this famous lawyer that everyone knows, who, um, you know, reputation to be one of the best lawyers around, or was around. And he's been given this case to defend these two Marines who've been accused of murdering their colleague. And we're led to believe that he's been given this case because Daniel is known as quite lazy and he arranges plea bargains, meaning he's never seen the inside of a courtroom before, meaning it's the assumption if Danny is lead counsel on this case, it's never going to reach trial, which is exactly what they want. They want to get rid of this case as quick as possible. Now, for a little, you know, provocation from Galloway, who's um, uh, Demi Moore, who's like assisting him. And, you know, going to interview Colonel Jessup, he starts to sort of realize something fishy is going on, including the fact that he's lead counsel on this case. And um, the um, the victim, Private Santiago, he's, he you know, he's known to be quite a screw up. And so the, the motive here is that they didn't want him on the unit. And the two guys that um, Daniel Caffey is defending is saying that he got they, they were issued a, court, a code red by Colonel Jessup to do something about it. 
And this is where the movie goes. And it's concluded in this explosive and memorable confrontation and trial at the end between Colonel Jessup and Lieutenant Caffey. So a really good thing about Sorkin is he uses all this technical jargon in his scripts um, and, you know, later in his movies. And in, in this case, he uses all these military jargons and he writes it in a way where you can actually understand what he's talking about. He does this with technology about Facebook and social network, the tech specifics about Macintosh and Steve Jobs. And he uses these terminologies in this movie where you don't actually really know what it means, but you know what's going to happen when it's said. You can actually figure it out from the way he's written it. So in the movie, someone says, attention, 259, report down for debriefing or sex and section six compromise sir you actually have an idea of what they're talking about um or what they're implying because of the way he's written it and the way they've acted it so it's quite a good way to invite the audience to this world where we're not used to remember this was originally a play for broadway and the reason it was so successful is because people understood what was happening even in an environment they weren't familiar with like the military or courtrooms now, the big point of this movie is this termino uh, terminology called Code Red. I have no idea what the hell Code Red means, but I can make a pretty good guess what it is, and so does everyone who's seen this movie. Now, the idea is Tom Cruise is defending two Marines who have killed another Marine, right? However, Tom Cruise is saying that these two Marines were ordered to do so by Colonel Jessup, which was played by um, Jack Nicholson. And Jessup ordered them to perform a code red, so they had to obey it or else be discharged because apparently a code red is the top order where you can't refuse it. However, we later learn they don't practice this anymore because it's down to decision of one person. And obviously in a combat situation, ethics and morals are pushed aside for the greater good. But this isn't combat. This was training. Now, you can assume what you want about Code Red, but you know the end result. We know through dialogue the ins and outs of it. We know that you're not meant to practice it anymore. And it also means if someone in the military has ordered you to do something, the superior officer are held responsible, not the Marines that have killed the other Marines. And that is what Tom Cruise is trying to prove because he was shit at his job. We, he, you know, He was slow. He was not great at training, all this. And because Santiago wasn't a great Marine, Colonel Jessup ordered two guys to kill him. And he said this was a code red. Now, in the everyday world, of course, the two guys that killed him are responsible. However, in the military, when code, honor, discipline is the whole thing they live by, they have to obey their superior officer or else be discharged. You know, what choice do they have? And there lies this gray area in the movie, which causes this courtroom battle in this movie. And it's expertly done by the heads of Rob Reiner, the director, the actors, and most importantly, the, the beautiful an intelligent script of Aaron Sorkin. The main theme in this movie is honour. It's about doing the right thing. I mean, let me rephrase that. It's it's about morally doing the right thing. And um, you may think that means the same thing, but not necessarily. The theme of honour and even dishonour is spread out throughout this movie. The two people on trial here for murder are there because they deceived Santiago because they were ordered to carry out a code red by Colonel Jessup, a superior officer. So at first, both Dawson and Downey, uh, the two people on, trying, uh, on trial for murder here, honoured the uh, order from the commanding officer, but at the same time they dishonoured Santiago because they have an oath to serve and protect in the Marines. Now Santiago, if you remember the movie, originally made a request to be transferred, which Marcuson agreed to do, but Colonel Jessup sort of let his head get in the way and refused him, indicating that they're going to train him, but instead finding out that they're not going to do that, he cut two guys loose on him, which was, you know, uh, Dawson and Downing. The theme of dishonor here is so great because he does dishonor his whole position as commander, and by doing this, 
act of spite. You know, he lost a soldier in the in the meantime. And you can also say that Santiago dishonored his entire unit because he was talking about a fence line shooting and spoke poorly of them. And this caused him to be a victim and a target. But more importantly, a sort of chink in the chain. So he, dis- he sort of dishonored his entire division. Now, with Daniel Caffey, played by Tom Cruise, he didn't even take the job seriously at the time. He was, you know, as we progress in the movie, he starts to learn and appreciate the value of dishonor. At the end of the movie, he gains the respect and honor of Downing and Dawson when they stand up and salute him when he exits the room. Even the character of Markinson is showing great honor in this film because he fights to get William transferred off the base. Even though this never happens because of the ego of Colonel Jessup, he does honor Santiago by helping Danny in the case. But because he, because he was going to testify in court, it would be both honorable and dishonorable. So he took the coward's way out and shot himself. So you can see how this principle of being honorable is probably the key theme in this movie. It's not about what you can prove. It's about what you know is morally right. And if you have the information to go with it and believe it and this film shows that even though it's done in a genre where evidence is key the final scene holds absolutely no evidence to the big reveal at the end there is no hidden blood spill or key witness or dna or fingerprint it's just tom cruise honoring the right thing with the knowledge he knows and he risks his entire career for this but he knows that colonel jessup is a man of honor and colonel jessup doesn't need to justify his actions the very thought of second guessing him his actions is the epitome of dishonoring him, which Danny knows, and Danny, and that makes Danny an exceptional lawyer by figuring this type of person, that Jessup um, of Colonel Jessup, that he he really gets ticked off by it, and we find out early on when they're having breakfast at the start, and this shows he doesn't need any evidence, he doesn't need to um, find a, a missing fingerprint or you know has to prove anything about phone calls, he just needs to dishonor Colonel Jessup because Tom Cruise, thanks to Markinson confirming knows the truth. One could argue that Danny was provoked to do this as a sort of an ego boost to see if he can live up to his father's name or impress other people showing he's not just a plea bargaining lawyer by subpoena and a high-ranking officer. But at the mo- as the movie goes on, and if you watch Tom Cruise's performance again, you can see his tactical deliverance of dialogue and feeling his opponents out by playing a stereotype of this young airhead and really turning it on its head. And Tom, Pru- uh, Tom Cruise just proves that honor is everything in this movie he uses it to fight the case he uses it to defend his clients he uses it in a way to remember his dad and this is what separates him from jessup because arrogant as he may seem at the start of the movie the real arrogance here is jessup who dishonors his entire position and they make a point of that and it's very rare to have that quality now you could say that tom cruise and his father are the few good men but i think it's really aimed at the two defendants who were put in a position where there was no path to not dishonor someone else and there lies this great area in the military and therefore fuels this incredible screenplay, this great play, and now, you know, this great film, which provides probably the best courtroom movie ever made. But that's all I have time for with A Few Good Men. I mean, I could carry on talking about this film for another hour probably, but, you know, all my podcasts are available via my Instagram, Film Exploration AH, or lowercase or one word. And thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Harry.